welcome to episode 114 of Friends of Film, a podcast that relates news and releases in the movie world. On this episode, we'll cover new Infinity War details, Terminator's new star, what's next for Denny Villeneuve, and more after review A Wrinkle in Time. As always, I'm your host, Cooper Hood, once again joined by a man not satisfied by this year's Oscars, Josh Straley. It's just, I mean, satisfied is really a fickle thing. Yeah. But I just left just sad and disappointed that the two movies I wanted lost to Shape of Water, which got like everything else. Best score, I will agree with, but uh, Get Out, come on, I really th- Bird. I, I really thought Get Out was going to get one of the two major categories after Peel got the best original screenplay. Right. I was like, that changes things. But then also, like, there was that moment where Dunkirk had the most most wins because it kept winning all the technical aspects. And I was mm-hmm. like, well, maybe, I mean, maybe they are going to give Nolan the best director. Maybe Dunkirk's actually going to surprise and get best picture. Yeah. Because it's like the overdue, like, Nolan thing. And nope, neither of them happened. That's pretty surprised. Who, who only knows what Christopher Nolan's going to, like, start piling on the scripts for to get his Oscar win. I don't know. But maybe he'll just give up on trying to get an Oscar. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, but hey, uh, don't forget everyone. You can get all of our latest updates on Facebook, Twitter, at Friends and Film. And be sure to check out the rest of our shows on iTunes, Stitcher, and SoundCloud. And if you can, on iTunes, please leave us a review. It really helps. Absolutely. And as mentioned at the top of the show, we are going to review... A Wrinkle in Time this week, the latest movie from director Ava DuVernay. Uh, if we dive into spoilers on this, there will be a time save in the description of this episode so you guys can skip ahead to the news. But otherwise, let's just get into this movie, Josh. You are kicking us off this week. You're doing the review for the site. What did you think? Okay, so expectation setting is very important here. Um, and this is a kid's movie. So it's it's been um, I'm reviewing it on a curve. Okay. So I want to I want to mention that right at the top, and as a kids film for the thirteen, twelve and under crowd, mm-hmm. it's fine. It's good. Um, it you it's basically at its core Interstellar for kids. There are way too many interstellar like ties. Is that a like yeah, like for like first of all, uh there's the wrinkling, like the space time mm-hmm. thing. That's a big one. And then two, a theme that comes up often throughout the movie and it's it's so prevalent it made me roll my eyes a couple of times. Yeah. So I had to remind myself this is for kids. Mm-hmm. But it like the whole the joke in Interstellar is the the only force more powerful in the universe than gravity is love. Yeah, uh, it that's at the core of this movie, um, and characters are shouting it, and uh, I think oh, they it's what causes everything to basically function and work when mm-hmm. they figure out it's the answer to the formula or the solution. Yeah. And I'm like, ah, oh, that's really on the nose, everyone. Um, but it's earnest throughout the entire film, and it's not ever um cynical and then kicks into that cliche ending so it just all kind of feels uh super smooth um storm reed is going to be running franchises of her own very soon (laughs) she is the she's one of the best parts of the film and as its lead i don't think you could have asked for anything better um charles wallace uh, played by Derek mccabe like that kid is gonna find all sorts of work because you're just like so regal and uh, um, charming. Um, but and then there's Reith Witherspoon as Mrs. What's It. 
the yes yes yeah and she and she embodies what this movie is really i mean just uh fluttering about i guess that what I, I think is a good way to say kind of literally later in the movie when she yeah. makes a, a transformation i tried not to laugh at but um she i think her presence in the movie understands what this is and it's light-hearted whimsical for um the good first hour and 20 minutes or so mm-hmm. and then um it buttons down and gets serious Minnie kaling is great as mrs who yeah, she's better in the movie, though. Right. But I did love her um, maxim. Her, she's evolved upon language, mm-hmm. and she can only speak in maxims, and a few of them are Limwell Miranda. And so I like, you know, I appreciated those little gags. Oprah is great, but she's just very... Tall. Tall, <laughs> yeah. She's larger than life. Um, and then, as well as, like, sort of lording over the whole thing, since she's more mm-hmm. Oprah than she is Mrs. Witch. Yeah. Which is fine. You got Oprah, and that's, I mean, that's, that's pretty cool. Uh, her acting skills will come along um, a bit later. But aside from a really good opening and a really good ending, the middle of this movie is kind of a hack job in a lot of ways. Um, there are plot sequences and the places that they go that really don't feel attached to the larger narrative. And it's sort of just like a, look at this weird universe. Mm-hmm. All right, let's button down, get serious. And now let's go find it. Not it being yeah, the not monster. Pennywise. Yeah. Not to be confused with Pennywise. Maybe, um, maybe would have made for a better movie though. <laughs> if he, that would have been great. Like if that thing was conjuring, you know, all sorts of like, and then that was one of them, but yeah. that, then there's cross platforming. So I don't know if Warner brothers would totally dig that uh, at all. Um, so, but again the movie um presents kind of a lot of like cool ideas like tessering and all sorts of things like that you know i really i dig it but there's nothing really grounding it Mm -hmm. um i mean for older adults because everything is so on the nose you keep looking for deeper meaning and you never really find it yeah and that was sort of a letdown because at least I had hyped myself for the like the people, you know, it was the, it was a part of this Black Panther train mm-hmm. and everything like that. And Ava DuVernay was leading and she'd make such strong statements with like Selma yeah. or the 13th. And I'm like, all right, what's she going to do? What's she could do? And then I'm like, oh, it's a kid's film. And it's like, I feel like I should be wanting more. Maybe they should have played up like aspects of Meg and uh, her parents and like tied that into some of the bullying and some of the um, disconnection that she feels like with her mm-hmm. kids and, or with her uh, classmates and things like that. But it didn't really come. It was just a, a really down to earth story of where this is the new norm and we're not going to really make it make any says about it, which mm-hmm. is good, which is great. And that's kind of where we should be going. Um, so I'm landing on a three ticket stubs okay. um, for a kid's movie. The narrative and drive of it isn't great um, at all, but colorful palettes and just um, a, a fun little beginning and end as well as a few lighthearted points in the middle with like Zach Galifianakis and such mm-hmm. um, make it bearable for someone older. Yeah. Okay, so three ticket stubs for you. I would say this is a very ambitious movie, okay, without a doubt. But it it doesn't always work. No, like there there are certainly moments in this movie where I was you know entertained or hooked in, or even moments where it made me laugh mm-hmm. at certain gags. But um, overall, I 
I mean, there were points where eventually I either got bored or was just kind of left wondering what are we building towards at this point? The story is really, I don't know. It, uh, I know this is based on a novel and maybe this is in fault of the novel that they tried to adapt it, but maybe it just shouldn't be an, an adapted story to begin with. Because like you said, like the, the love angle, like, yeah, there, there's good messages in there. Like, you know, of self acceptance or just kindness, over bullying or whatever. Right. But then like, yeah, like that love is the frequency that allows you to travel through time. Like, yes. Oh, come on. <laughs> like this is just, and maybe that just cut me from an older perspective. Cause I'm not in that, you know, that younger demographic that this movie is aiming for I me. Mean, it's a PG movie. It's from Disney. Right. Um, you have to temper expectations, but at the same time, like you mentioned it's got Ava, du- Ava DuVernay backing it. And it's like, she she's done some really impactful meaningful stuff in the past and you know you you would think that in even in doing a big studio movie the first studio movie over 100 million dollars directed by a female of color that she would infuse a little bit more of maybe her yeah self into it a little bit more i would have, i would have liked that um i absolutely agree with you that Reese Witherspoon is the best part of this movie uh whether even if when it's she's doubting meg and being like she should not be here she does not belong right. uh or just like the jokes she's making or just her natural charisma like every time she's on the screen she really really works i liked kayleen's work but again like i said before it's it's lacking it's just she's not there for to really do anything of substance and then Oprah is just giant in the movie and like that's really it. She's there just to be like, No, Meg, you can you can do this. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna give you the advice you need and even then Meg's just like, No, you're I don't I don't believe you or I'm right. not gonna listen to your advice or whatever. And then the other thing that I thought was just kinda weird about this movie is it's a movie about you know, time travel, space travel, other dimensions um, you know, these beings like outside of the universe that, you know, created time or whatever. And we get little of it. Well, we, we get so little of it. Yeah. But it's, it's the, are, these are fantastic ideas and these just like out of this world stuff. Nobody, nobody reacts to it. It's just like the, the first time they tether, like they're always like, oh, okay. You yeah. tethered. <laughs> like I've done it before. It's like, you guys just traveled to a different planet through an, a dimensional gap or whatever like mm-hmm. that is not something you just like breeze by but that's what they do in this movie every time they do something weird and new and unique they just like treat it like it's oh i'm just gonna go get ice cream from the ice cream man it's like yeah. no this is not an everyday instance this is a once in a lifetime adventure and they treat it like it's nothing and so that just kind of pulled me out of it we're just like kids like this they wouldn't just be like okay, we'll do this and this and this. It's like, no, you'd be like, wait, these flowers can talk in a colored language. Like Mm -hmm. we're, we're doing all this stuff. The ground is shifting around us and making going from a beach to houses to a completely white, weird, you know, technological ball. And you're like, what, what's happening? They don't ever have any moment of surprise or fear or, amazement and it's just like okay we're just gonna do our things we're here to save meg's dad and it's like okay that's fine uh the reunion good 
you know, Chris Pine delivers in that moment. Like he's good in the movie, but oh, yeah. again, he's in it for five minutes. Gugum Raw good for five minutes. Like they ask a lot out of these child actors. And yeah, I think Storm Reed did a great job. Uh, Levi Madden's the other uh, mm-hmm. kid. He, he was good. I didn't, they, they were very, they were forcing a love thing. And I was like, Ugh, okay, come on. Yeah. I don't need this. Like it, it just got annoying after a while, even though I was happy that when they ended it, they didn't do the super cliche thing. I thought they were going to do. And I was like, okay, a, a couple extra points there. Right. <laughs> Cause you guys didn't do what Thank I thought you're going to do there. But, and like, um, what's the other Charles, uh, Charles Wallace, Charles Wallace. He's a, he's an adorable kid. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And he gets like a lot, but like at the same time, he's this like prodigy genius, uh, apparently that they adopt. Don't explain much of anything about him, but then he just like, again, he's just kind of our gateway into this adventure. And he just like, doesn't care. Like traveling across dimensions, meeting dimensional beings, no big deal. Yeah. And then he gets like this turn in the third act. I'm just like, Oh, this isn't working for me. And like, it also made me realize that like the first two thirds of this movie, I'm just like, what are we building towards? Like, there's no villain. There's like nothing here other than we just need to go on this mission. And there's not really that many obstacles. It's just like, no, we just have to figure it out. Right. Exactly. <laughs> and so it's like, it's, 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 again, it's kind of is boring at certain points. And like, that's unfortunate to say, but you know, there's, there's certain points in this movie where the visuals that DuVernay crafts are excellent. Um, you know, in exploring these other worlds, these other dimensions, you're like, okay, this is cool. This looks good. Um, I loved the moment where storm Reed is like climbing in that white ball thing. And like, they're like invisible stairs and like, um, paths. And you're like, okay, like that's very cool. The way that they shot this, I don't know how they did it, but like, it was a cool visual moment, but like, you know, that doesn't add to the story. Like, I don't think the, the the message is good but like you said it's it's hammered home over and over and over again and then when they get back you don't really get to see if that actually meant anything right so it's like wait what did what was all that for to begin with um so but i mean yeah it's it's a kids movie so i don't i don't want to be too hard on it um i i don't know i'm gonna i guess i'm gonna give it two and a half ticket stubs out of five okay Fair it's, enough. It's yeah. It's it's okay. It's just I th- expected more. Yeah, absolutely. And I was like, okay, that's it was actually something different. And I, I there was uh, the, Disney has done has been, kind of been in the mid mid budget film thing lately. I know this was a hundred million dollars, but there was also Pete's Dragon. And the BFG that came out um, the last two years ago, two years, but were they both the same year? I think there was one Pete's Dragon, then BFG. Yes. Uh, and um, those had simple premises, simple pre- premises, and um, but a little bit more adult themes kind of laced mm-hmm. in there. And I thought that would be the, the case here as well, and it wasn't. Yeah, it was sort of in that middle range of PG related. It was on the left versus the you know closer to pg-13 mm-hmm. and that you know threw me but yeah i mean i mean this movie even had like michael pena and he was like again another one was like guys yeah, like, was a surprise. He, was, he was cool mm-hmm. for the two minutes he was there right. <laughs> i'm like wait what and then he just shows up to basically make uh 
the kid evil. Or, yeah, which is just like okay, right. And that's where I was like, I don't. There was it was there was no one to really root for. It was yeah. just it was a it was a tour through a world to explore, and it felt like the beginning hour special of a series, yeah. more so than it did a fulfilling film. Right, and like this movie's not doing like great at the box office. It's doing okay. Um, it'll probably end up making its money back and making a little bit of a profit for Disney, I would assume. But it's not going to be a huge runaway hit or anything. I don't know if there's more stories to tell in this, whether from like the book version or whatever. But I don't see a reason to make a sequel to this eventually. Like it's just like, has there been talk? I don't know. Okay. I'm just like bringing this up of like, uh, you know, if it ends up making $400 million worldwide, that's a, that's a, that's a big success mm-hmm. for Disney, but I don't want to see another one. Cause like, what are they, what are you going to do next? <laughs> right. Like everything's kind of happy. It's like, unless you're just testing like, Oh, did the darkness leave? It's like, whatever. But yeah, I think this is the only book that Lee Engel read. Okay. Or wrote. So. I wasn't sure. I've, I've seen other people hypothesize, like, you know, ask the question, you know, does it set up a sequel? Could there be a sequel? I'm like, I don't know if there's, sh- there probably shouldn't be one, honestly. I mean, I would dig a prequel with Chris Pine and Jujubin Both Raw. That would be awesome. Yeah, maybe. I mean, yeah, like, again, like, I, nothing against the kid actors, but a lot of my f- favorite parts of the movie were when the adults were there. Um, yeah. Just because, I mean, they're, they're more talented actors. Uh, they're more seasoned veterans, but also, like, I don't know, they they feel like they helped ground the story and give it some emotional weight that the, the kids didn't really do as great as storm Reed was, you know, that's just part of who her character is and everything. But, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I mean, overall, I mean, do, I don't think we really need to get into spoilers on this. It's, I'm ready to go. It's, it's yeah. what it is. Uh, you know, if, if you got, if you have kids out there, like I think a wrinkle of time is absolutely something that like, kids can enjoy. Kids can love, um, it's in a million percent safe family movie. Yeah, there's there's nothing. I mean, there's a joke about Reese Witherspoon being naked, but like, there's n- yeah. nothing there. Like, I honestly don't know why this movie isn't G, unless it's just for like scary imagery, which I think um, is what it is. Yep. So even Toy Story, <laughs> it's going to throw people in a furnace. Exactly. So like, <laughs> Toy Story is scarier than this movie, but you know, you, it is what it is, and uh, that's our review of A Wrinkle in Time. Oh, Josh. Wait. The cabbage, Reith Witherspoon f- transforming into a piece of cabbage. Oh, yeah. That's that pretty was, weird. Yeah. I <laughs> made me laugh in the theater. Yeah. I definitely did not see that coming. <laughs> Especially then, because, like, they crash, and then, like, Oprah and uh, Mindy Kaling are, like, right there. Like, they, like, mm-hmm. ran. I was like, wait, <laughs> you guys ran there? <laughs> yeah. Like, they flew? Like, that doesn't make any sense. My and, like, why were they flying them. to begin with? Like, right. you thought you were going to see Chris Pine from all the way up there in the sky? Like, uh, I don't know. But whatever. Josh gives it three ticket stubs. I give it two and a half. That is A Wrinkle in Time. We'll be right back in a bit with the news. back with the news and as always we're going to start with ticket or skip it this week we got three new teaser trailers all played in front of a wrinkle in time first one came from disney it's a return of a very popular franchise of a very popular british woman this time played by emily blunt the first teaser for mary poppins returns dropped during the oscars 
Josh, what'd you think? Ticket. Wait, or well, I liked it. It was good. It was light on substance. It was just like, what's yeah. happening? Something's coming. The kite up to the highest height. <laughs> it's flying. And then Lin Manuel Miranda. It's like, I'll save it. And then Mary Poppins swoops in and's like, I'll save it. Yeah. And then you're like, she who saved it. <laughs> oh, yeah. And then who are you? But uh, Emily Blunt has a little bit more selling to do to take over. But I'm, I mean, I'm ready for it. I think it's going to be great. Yeah, I would. I'll, I'll give it a ticket. Like you, like you said, it was very light on story or really anything. Uh, you know, it was really just like a tease. Like it's this is a definition of a teaser trailer. It's just like, hey, mm-hmm. here's a kite. Here's a door opening. Here's Mary Poppins. You're yes. Like, okay. Cool. Emily Blunt looks good in the role. I I like what I saw of her uh, in the three seconds she's on screen. Um, ben Wishaw as the, one of the kids, uh, now grown up from the first movie, looks good. Yeah, um, big fan of his. So yeah, I mean it's a it's a ticket. Like you know, it's not the my the movie I'm most looking forward to now the rest of the year. Now I've seen this teaser trailer, but it's it looks like it'll be a good uh, holiday movie come the end of this year. So I think that's all we can really ask for. So. Yeah, exactly. And ben, I mean, Ben Wishaw, uh, I think I'm waiting for that dude to make a breakout because he is, he is so much better than being in the movies for 10 minutes as Q in those Bond films. He's great as Paddington. Yeah. So. So moving on to the next Disney teaser we got this week again and bringing back a beloved character. Oh, yeah. Christopher Robin. First teaser trailer. And you thought... I'll give it a ticket. Okay. I was. Is that reluctance? It was. It's more of a shock. Oh, okay. Not that I'm giving it a ticket, but just like it. It just looks different than what I expected. Like it look. It's very like more moody, dark and gloomy. Mm. And it's like, is this is this Disney or is this WB making this movie? Like, <laughs> okay. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, it's just like okay, like yeah, Mark Forster or Mark Foster do, the directing <laughs> it looks good, but then like you know, I'm giving it a ticket because like my girl Haley Atwell's in this. I'm always going to yeah. be on board for more Hey Atwell. Um, Ewan McGregor looks like a good Christopher Robin. And then, you know, the actual Pooh Bear right. looks good, you know? I mean, he he's definitely looks like he's gone through some, not some tough times. He's but weathered. He, he's definitely yeah. aged. Yeah. Uh, he's, he's older. Grizzled. And, uh, you know, he's an experienced, he's the grizzled <laughs> Pooh Bear that we haven't seen before. So. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm just thinking about Pooh Bear in some kind of like Zack Snyder-esque slow motion <laughs> kung fu battle that takes place when, uh, who is it, Colin Firth or is that Ralph Fiennes? No, yeah. One of those two British dudes is in there. Uh, who fires? Who's telling Ian McGregor to get fired? It's not Ralph Fiennes. It's uh, Colin Firth then? It's not Colin Firth. No. Um, who, he plays M. I'll look it up. What okay, else did well, you anyway, think about the trailer? But anyway, I imagine Pooh Bear like <laughs> a squad of those people showing up and then they have like doing a gunk. Right, anyway, uh, the trailer's great. Ian McGregor is back on screen and like, you know, just a, a straightforward, uncorrupted role where he, he, I don't know. I just love seeing the, the man act. Um, mm-hmm. And when Pooh shows up, he's like, hey, what's up? I mean, that's not what he says, but and I forget the exact Christopher words. Christopher Robin. Yeah, Exactly. And it's been a very long time or something. Yes. And you're like, it has been a long time because for me, it's been, you know, 15 years since I've seen a Winnie the Pooh film. 
and that 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 feeling there was a warmth in me like when i watched it i was like oh, i'm all in take it take it take it probably right. like five times you know buy it digital first day <laughs> and uh um I'm, I'm just ready for it. it it sounds perfect who's voicing Pooh? is it, it's not the i mean obviously it can't be the original i believe it is the original it's uh it's jim cummings he's still alive mm-hmm. oh my god 65 okay awesome he's from your home state too young he's from ohio heck yeah that. I'm trying to figure out who it is. I found out that Chris O'Dowd's voice in Tigger, which I think is pretty awesome. That is fantastic. Toby Jones is playing the owl. Peter Capaldi is the rabbit. Brad Garrett is Eeyore. That's actually pretty genius. Um, but I'm not sure who is that boss yet. So, Oh, okay. He is from Sherlock, and he is uh, Mycroft Holmes. I don't know the actor's name, but that's who he is. He's perfect for it. Uh, Mycroft in the BBC series is just... Mark Gaddis? Yes, there you go. Um, that is who it is, yeah. So he's going to make a great foil. And if Pooh has to do a slow motion Snyder kick butt, I'm on it. <laughs> where, where is he going to rank in terms of top three live action teddy bears? Him, Paddington, or Ted? <laughs> oh, uh, I mean, listen, Pat. Like, the, the Paddington is going to be hard to top, That's but definitely true. At, least, at least right now, after after Paddington two, um, but this has the potential for it. There's going to be less singing and dancing, so that could be, um, you know, a knock against it mm-hmm. because that jail that jailhouse scene is so hard to it, top. It really is. Um, but I think he'll definitely finish in the top two. I mean, Ted is ted and it's mark Wahlberg, so right um so yeah moving on then to the last uh ticket or skip it we got the first teaser for the grinch coming from illumination and universal this is the animated take on mm-hmm. how the grinch stole christmas basically with benedict cumberbatch hey voicing the angry green thing who he's not he's not a who but he looks like all the other Who's. Kinda. Did you notice that this time around? I did notice that. So it kind of makes it seem like he's still a person, but he's not a yeah. monster. Don't know. He's much but more I'm, passive aggressive. I'm giving this a ticket, though. Okay. Uh, for sure. I, I, I actually thought this was pretty funny, uh, even though I would have liked to hear more Benedict Cumberbatch as the Grinch, hear mm-hmm. his voice. Uh, but, you know, like the the happy gag you know illumination doing an inside joke basically because that came from the minions movie yes um so then plugging that i thought was funny and then you know having max the dog like he's just he's just adorable so i loved that and i loved the (laughs) the fact that grinch wears pants right (laughs) that are the exact same look as his actual like fur and skin so i thought that was a very kind of clever way just to be like Mm -hmm. no he's not naked (laughs) yeah (laughs) he's not just some random animal that's like hanging it all out there no he's no he's he's it's a good yeah he's yeah he's, he's keeping it covered it's a good visual gag um but i'm gonna say skip it okay i mean i don't know if i'll go to the theater for this uh so i mean it looks funny it looks good but i skipped the minions movie i skipped despicable me three and illumination really hasn't busted my gut in a while Um, yeah so but i do say i do think that benedict cumberbatch is the next logical great voice for a disgruntled grinch yeah jim carrey uh obviously you know will forever live as the goat Mm -hmm. and then we have 
Benedict Cumberbatch, which will, um, is a likely contender to knock him off. Yeah. So that's all we have for Ticket or Skip It this week. I gave all three tickets. Josh, two tickets, one Skip It. And then we will move on to the actual news that we have this week, starting with EW gave out a bunch of details on Avengers Infinity War, and it looks like this is just the beginning because it looks like set uh, visit embargoes, set reports, all that stuff are lifting this next this coming week. So there's only going to be more info that drops on Infinity War. looks like probably the second trailer as well. But as far as Infinity War goes, they released 15 covers, uh, eight new images. They teased a bunch of details um, such as, you know, the Guardian, they confirmed that some of the Guardians, like Thor, Rocket, and uh, Groot, are in Wakanda in that final battle, which is cool. And I hope that means that my theory is correct, that that group shot is not totally done yet, and that it's going to be actually bigger and more epic once we see it on the big screen. Um, then we also got a bunch of stuff about Thanos that basically Josh Brolin saying that like people are going to underestimate his in- his intellect, saying that he's the smartest person in the film, which is a very uh, high bar to set because you know you got uh, Bruce Banner, Tony mm-hmm. Stark, mm-hmm. Shuri, mm-hmm. Um, you know even like Doctor Strange. Yep. Like they're they're very smart people in this movie. So to say that Thanos is smarter than all of them, even Vision, like come on, that's that's up there with in- intelligence. So uh, we'll see if that proves to be true. We also got word that there's going to be flashbacks to when Thanos is younger. Um, we know that that orange planet is in fact the, his homeworld of Titan and that at some point during those flashbacks, we're going to see basically the fall of Titan because something happened that Thanos wasn't allowed to try to stop, even though he knew it was coming. Yeah. And so now he's, his motivations, this movie are basically since he saw that his homeworld was destroyed once before he sees the universe as a whole going down the same path. And I put, he's taking it upon himself to, you know, bring balance to the universe. So I think that all sounds great. And mm-hmm. then like, uh, Rob Downey Jr. Um, Stephen Marcus McFeely and Kevin Feige all said people are going to die. And like yeah. Kevin Feige is like, you guys have always said like, how come people don't stay dead? And mm-hmm. you know, there's, there's a list of people who've been dead. And you guys should be careful what you wish for. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so all of that out there, you know, what do you, what do you want to talk about? Um, can I, we can be, before we dive into all of this, okay. can we focus on Thanos' motivations? Yes. Because there's also a, I mean, I think the EW spread actually kicks off with it or it doesn't kick off with it. It's actually later down in the article, which is, I thought way underappreciated, but the Gamora relationship is yeah. highlighted. And um, I think Brolin says that, you're going to feel for this dude a lot more than we ever thought possible. And one of the things they brought out, which I was a little like, uh, what are they going to do to get more on this movie? Yeah. Because she's so kick butt. And I would hate to see her become just a, a foil for mm-hmm. Brolin. Um, but they say that there's a very intense, not intense, but there's a very strong bond that's going to get formed or at least with us. Yeah. They definitely tease that Thanos and how he feels for Gamora. Yeah, Josh Brolin's saying like, oh, you guys, like, because they, they asked him about the Black Order because the Black Order are Thanos' children in the MCU. And he's like, oh, man, like, no, like, he has the capacity to love and there's a really great arc with Gamora that, well, I can't tell you. And you're yeah. like, wait, what? What? <laughs> what does that mean? Like, I don't think they're going to turn Gamora evil because that would be pretty surprising and probably lead her on the road to eventually being killed mm-hmm. uh and i don't see any of the guardians 
getting killed in these two movies and like ruining James Gunn's right three film arc for these characters. But I mean, that's a super interesting little nugget for Brolin to tease us with. What uh? What else? I mean, you, anything else about his motivations? Well, the fall of Titan thing. I mean, I didn't really read too into that, and I don't know a lot of lore behind it or anything like that. Because I mean, th- th- that part was slightly vague. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I mean, all of this is vague, but still sp- specifically vague. How about that? Yes, that's a good way to say it. Um, so it sounds like we get this is like Scarface Thanos edition. <laughs> you know, yeah. um, we're gonna watch his come up uh, in a lot of ways, mm-hmm. and. If that's true, then that kind of reframes a lot of what we see in the trailers as being like everything that happens in the last 45 minutes of the film. And especially Mm -hmm. if we're going to get like basically Thanos' rise to power for the first hour. Yeah. Which is going to be crazy for a whole hour dedicated to a film's villain. I mean, they've previously described him as the main character of this movie. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, his motivations, how they're teasing that his relationship with the Black Order how I believe they'll have a pretty decently sized role in this movie. In addition to the news that like, you know, we're going to see his home planet. It looks like based on the trailers, if that is the orange planet, while, (gasps) while one section of, you know, while everybody, basically all the heroes are fighting in Wakanda Mm -hmm. against the black order. It looks like Dr. Strange, Iron Man, Spider-Man, Star-Lord, Nebula, and Gamora head to Titan and are like, all right, Thanos, like, let's do this on your home turf. Right. And it's like, if those are our two final things, like uh, we're cutting back and forth between Thanos ripping down a moon, which we got a, we, got, we saw a glimpse of. And I was yes. like, oh, it looks so epic. Uh, I wish I maybe would have seen a live action the first time I saw it, but I'm not going to complain because it's, uh, we've heard about it since Comic-Con. So like, it's been in my head, um, but like, in this photo, the moon is still a hole. Like it's not pieces of a moon; it is literally an entire moon. Yeah, uh, which is pretty cool. I would like to point out real quick, though, too. It seems like he's only got three stones on that gauntlet in that uh, photo as well. He's only hey, got two. Oh, on the gauntlet? I believe so. Unless, okay. unless I missed something. I, I can only see three. There's no, there's not, there's no stone on the thumb or the pinky. But he looks like he's got a, he's got light sources from the the knuckles. Really? Right there. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, point being, a- he's he's only got three stones and he's yanking down a moon. Okay, or at least fragments of it. Right. Uh, whatever the case would be. Uh, so the dude is crazy powerful, like mm-hmm. to say the least. But uh, sorry, I just had to caveat that. Yeah, I I believe there are only two. I'm Which looking it up wild. now because yeah, like, we, but it also makes sense that he could pull a moon because if he has the space stone, the power stone, space allows him to teleport. Trans, uh, you know, moved to his home planet again if he was pre- previously fighting on Earth, mm-hmm. and then the Power Stone would give him enough power to, you know, pull down a moon. Yes, in space, you know, couple it with the space stone power makes sense. But I mean, yeah, once he gets the Reality Stone, the uh, Mind Stone, like what, what is this guy going to do? And I think that leads to the question, like, are we going to see Thanos actually like assemble all of the stones in this one movie or is he just going to have the, the power and space stone for the majority of the movie. And then, you know, we see the black order um, fighting in Wakanda. And now it's been confirmed that that is where they're hiding vision after Mm -hmm. he previously gets attacked that the Russo brothers called him a living MacGuffin. So it almost sounds like they're playing like a little cat and mouse game where like, 
they're like moving vision around a lot to try to heist film, try to keep him away and keep him out of reach. And I, I like that aspect of it. But then like, if they're fighting Okanda and the mind stones there with vision and as speculated, the soul stone is somewhere there as well, like hidden the vibranium um, asteroid or whatever. If the black order then gets both of those while Thanos is off getting, you know, taking the, uh, uh, what's the other one? The uh, time stone from Dr. Strange. If, If they're fighting over there, if he takes that from him, gets it there um and then eventually like yeah he then he would have three and then i'm missing one which one am i missing time the aether mine right which would be from which the, he'll 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 get that from the collector at some point right. so he'll have that as well um so like if he has like three or four by himself and the black order get him the final two like and that doesn't happen until the end of the movie I could very well see us ending this movie with, as you know, teased by Downey, Feige, screenwriters Marks and McFeely, a lot of these Avengers are dead. <laughs> They're literally dead. And then Thanos does the end of the Infinity War comic where he just snaps his finger and resets the universe. And like that's what sets us into like Avengers 4. And that's why like Ant-Man and the Wasp is potentially a prequel to Infinity War because, like, they don't want to mess with that or it's even taking place in, like, an alternate reality and then Captain Marvel, maybe the snapping of the finger changes the world and brings, like, Captain Marvel into existence or something, but, but, like, it just, it's wild. There's so many possibilities. My mind is actually reeling right now. (laughs) So, like, maybe I need to read these comics, but I know I've I've seen the panel of the the fin- the finger snap. Yeah. I mean, it's infamous. You can't not find it. I mean, uh, so, is it basically the the universe? They're going to reboot, and Spider Man ends up being Spider Man in London, and and, and things uh, of that. I don't. Nature? I don't think that's how but, they'll go. I oh, think man. it'll be like a. I don't know. That's the weird thing because like, it all depends on what Thanos is goal ultimately is like mm-hmm. if it is bringing balance to the universe that could just mean killing off a bunch of heroes right and then the snapping of the finger is like all right now let's just make it so like those people didn't exist or whatever um but then you know we've also seen like you know avengers 4 stuff that's like how does how does that line up with this like it's just it's a lot of, it's very confusing and fun because yeah. we know there's another movie after this that like directly ties into all of this. So like, how does that work? Right. What is the, what is the end of infinity war that allows Ant-Man and the Wasp to happen before or an alternate reality or whatever. Mm-hmm. And Captain Marvel to happen in the nineties, which makes sense. Cause if, if they don't reboot or whatever, like you could have that story take place back then and then have her introduced in the present day then for Avengers four, but like how does infinity war end where it's such like a monumental shock and this game changing moment where then Avengers four comes along the year after. And it's like, now we have to fix things or now we have to try to beat him now that he has all of the stones, but we've lost cap. We've lost Hawkeye. Hmm. We've lost Hulk. We've lost whoever Thor, whatever, whoever it is. We've lost all of these major players how can we continue on and ultimately win this now 
which would be insane, especially if four is like um, some kind of like resistance type film. Yeah. Where Thanos is in command and Avengers minds have been erased. You have dead allies and mm-hmm. you're like, what do we do now? And then perhaps there's because the, there, I don't think there's any victory in this film. No, I don't think there can be. That's no, I think like you said, I don't. I think there's no post credit scenes. I think that finger snap ends the movie, and you're just left in the dark. Oh, I didn't think about that. Not putting a post credit scene in there. I mean, could you imagine the impact of no jokey credit? No, I don't. There, there won't be no, a jokey credit. No title at the end that says the Avengers will return. It just you just set the stage <laughs> for something dark and cold and. You know, your fingers gripping the chair on yeah. the edge of your seat. And you're wiping your face with tissues because you're sobbing because mm-hmm. all of the heroes are dead, basically. Exactly. I I don't... I think there will be at least one mid to post-credit scene because I think what they'll do is, like, if Thanos wrecks shop and, like, lays all the heroes to waste, then it's like, well, well what's next? Like, right. how, how, how do they come back from this? A Captain Marvel tease, Yeah, perhaps. exactly. It's like a Captain Marvel coming back to the present day or being woken up and you're like... Because we get... Oh, my gosh. Captain Marvel, Avengers 4. Or Avengers... Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah, cause snap. Because, like, I think... So much. She's going to be the game changer, which is going to make her a rival MCU after a solo movie. Even that... I think Marvel's... Again, they're so far ahead of the game where, like... <laughs> they, they they put Black Panther out. It just hit a billion dollars today. And now they're like, hey, guess what? Our entire third act of our movie takes place in Wakanda. <laughs> it's like, great. I yeah. love I love Wakanda. Right. I love Shuri. I I'm love M'Baku. <laughs> I want everything. And I think they're going to do the exact same thing with Avengers 4 where Captain Marvel is coming out three two months before. It's going to be this major hit. And then they're going to be like, Hey, you guys liked her? Guess what? She's in Avengers 4 and she's, she's the MVP. Right. She's the reason that they can stop Thanos. It's like, what? New, yeah, That's new, awesome. Yeah, the new Tony Stark, if you will, of everything. Basically, which be yeah. Epic. And so I, I think that is the po- like, I think that's the mid to post credit scene we'll get is Captain Marvel being teased as the savior, basically, of the universe. And then I heard this great theory. I can't rem- remember where I heard it on. I think it was like... Um, the podcast of the previous site used to write for that is now spun off into Marvel news desk. Uh, they were like, what if it ends with, instead of the Avengers will return, it's Thanos will return. Ooh. And it's like, wait, <laughs> yeah. Wait, so just the villain comes back. Like mm-hmm. you're not going to give me the heroes. Right. Like I think that would be a super smart way to play this. When you're 20 films deep, you can, you can, you know, screw with people's psyches exactly. in ways that, uh, um, or unimaginable, or the you know you can infuse lines like that mm-hmm. with such meaning. Yeah, because um, I mean now to screw with any time a movie comes out, it's you know end of Black Panther. Black Panther will return, mm-hmm. and it's like yes. But now it's like after Avengers, like the Avengers will return. And it's like no end of, end of Infinity War. It's like Thanos will return. What? Yeah. <laughs> like wait. Exactly. What about all the heroes I love? Mm-hmm. Like that. I think that would be such a clever way to do it, especially if it ends with the. I just destroyed the yeah, universe. Yeah, just wiped the universe, reset right. it, I'm whatever. God, et cetera, like, et cetera. Ah, so exciting, and it's only a month away, basically. So that's incredible. Um, but we should probably move on from Infinity War talk, even though I could talk about it for hours. Uh, move on to the other superhero um, comic book 
IP, the biggest one other other than Marvel. I mean, even maybe arguing which one's bigger, whatever. DC, their Warner Brothers uh, is reportedly, according to that hashtag show, they talked to uh, Mission Impossible five and six director Christopher McQuarrie, uh, two direct Green Lantern Corps. Uh, apparently, according to the raps on Berto Gonzalez, that meeting happened last October and a deal wasn't agreed upon. But there's also been rumblings that you know they've had another meeting since then, which could just be another hey chris we know mission impossible is almost done we know you've almost got a slot opened up come do this movie for us uh if that is the case would you want to see christopher mcquarrie join and direct green lantern corps yeah i think so i mean i haven't seen the mission impossible films yeah crazy. at all um but looks like the, on that. looks like the dude knows how to handle building a team looks like he knows how to handle excitement pair him with a great uh, composer, give him I mean, the Tom Cruise thing yeah. floating out there. You, you keep, I think you keep saying that. Someone, I don't know if I. I don't. Someone keeps said saying that. that on Twitter, and I keep seeing it. Anyway. It's it's out there. All right. Um, it was previous. We covered that actually, like back in like the first couple months of our podcast. Oh wow! There was a short list from the raps on Berto Gonzalez, mind you, who's now debunking that Macquarie is Connected. potentially there. Um that Tom Cruise was in the shortlist along with like Ryan Reynolds and Jake Gyllenhaal and uh, two other people I don't remember. But, I mean, the fact that they want an older Hal Jordan, like at the time I was like, I don't know. Like, I think we were just coming off of like Jack Reacher. Oh, I'll go back right. and I'm like, I don't, uh, don't know if I want that. Um, but, you know, if they want that older Hal and like, you know, last week I mentioned, you know, if they put John Krasinski and Trevante Rhodes oh, yes. in Green Lantern, you know, but if, if it, but if it was Tom Cruise and Trevante Rhodes, yeah, mm-hmm. awesome. Yeah. Sign me up. Give me the inverse of uh, Lethal Weapon and I would be mm-hmm. so stoked. Tom Cruise has to grow a beard if he takes on that role. Why? Because he's older and I've never seen the dude with a beard. Hal doesn't really normally have a beard though. Yeah, but it would play into the older grizzled thing. I guess. But like, I mean, Tom Cruise still looks, you know, decently young for exactly. his age. But <laughs> you got to age him up a bit. You know, I think he can very well pull off the grizzled. I've been the space cop for twenty years thing easy, just by like putting him in a green suit and being yeah. like, ugh, got to go deal with this again. <laughs> He's gonna have to act if he wants to pull that off. I Which, mean, like, if not, if that happens, not autopilot act, but like, you know, but I would so dig it because, um, the cool thing about Green Lantern's course is you can team them up with just about any kind of variation you mm-hmm. can dream up of. So imaginations can run wild. You can bring yeah. back old characters or you can make new core members mm-hmm. and be like, you're part of the Green Lantern alien dude. Go fight. Yeah. Have fun. Exactly. And I think Macquarie would be a great pick for that if things happen to turn out great. But the idea that McCoy represents someone who's handled mm-hmm. ensemble cast before is big here. Yeah, I, I think it would be a great move for DC to get Christopher McQuarrie, uh to do this, let him do, like you could almost do like Mission Impossible in space. <laughs> like that's a, that's a weird pitch, mm-hmm. but at the same time, like there are, you know, Mission Impossible still has to hold to laws of physics or whatever in right. their stunts, but like, Green Lanterns is like you guys are fighting in space on different planets with different aliens. Like you could do whatever you want and do the craziest stuff. And I absolutely think that if Macquarie, you know, if this is true and they haven't, they've had another meeting, or you know, he eventually circles back around, and does get the job, and accepts it. 
I would be shocked if Tom Cruise doesn't play Hal then. Because, like, Macquarie is Cruise's guy. And the fact that they previously wanted Cruise, Cruise is probably hesitant because they didn't have a director. Um, but if they were like, hey, but your buddy in Macquarie is directing it. Yeah. He'd probably be like, all right, yeah, I can do two films, then die, and then John Stewart can be the guy. Right. Sure. Or just even one. I mean, yeah. go for it. I think, I think they would do... I, I would think they would want the full first movie of John and Hal together instead of doing like, I don't know. I feel like the, the mentor dies in the first movie thing is done so much that like, you know, and it's Tom Cruise. Like, right. It would be a mistake. I think if you're one brothers to kill Tom Cruise in your first movie, because then if that movie's a hit, you're going to want Tom Cruise back again. And you don't have to worry about, Oh, how do we do this? And then if you have like Trevante Rhodes, the other star, like he's still not a big name. Right. And you can build him up then in two movies or even three and then kill how bring in Kyle Rayner or whatever and have more Green Lanterns go that way. That's so, fair. Uh, yeah. So moving on then to Terminator. Mm-hmm. Variety reported this week that Mackenzie Davis, star of Black Mirror, Blade Runner 2049, The Martian, Halt and Catch Fire, is in talks to start in the new Terminator reboot from director Tim Miller and being executive produced by James Cameron. Uh, she'll be playing a soldier assassin in the movie, but she is not the lead. The studio is still looking for a young Latina to be the actual lead and carry through the entire franchise, uh, which they're hoping to be a trilogy. So Mackenzie Davis being a major role in Terminator. Is that good? And that, is she a Terminator? Does, yeah, exactly. I think that makes her a Terminator just by description. Yeah. Um, why, yeah, uh, precisely. Uh, Yes, she'll crush it. Um, her synth shoot replicant in 2049 was great. I was disappointed that she wasn't in a larger role. Absolutely. But still, I mean, you're picking and choosing disappointments in that movie. Right. Um, Halt and Catch Fire, obviously, where you get to see a wide range of her acting skills. But replicant, definitely the biggest... Uh, um, comparison here the yeah. best comparison so yeah i'm absolutely for it but my w- offhand question is why hasn't isabel moner been cast in the role already i feel like I she know. fits that ex- that yeah. description a thousand percent she, she she does uh i believe i made the joke i don't think we never talked on here on, on the podcast about it but i've made the joke on twitter that like michael bay's production company is helping paramount with that live action dora the Explorer movie, and I'm like, that's Isabella Moner's role to lose. <laughs> like, she's already got that Michael Bay connection. Like, it's gonna be, it's gonna be Isabella Moner. I would actually love to see. I don't. We don't know what the age is on this, mm-hmm. but Becky G from oh, Power Rangers. Yeah, I think she's got she's got more of an edge to her than Isabella Moner does, and I think you you need somebody with a little bit more of that edge style. to follow in the footsteps of uh, Sarah Connor. Like, mm-hmm. you can't have. I don't. Maybe they're gonna do a huge change and it's going to be like oh actually here's this model and she's like the she's the new lead of this franchise and it's about her being transformed into like a war veteran or whatever but like i don't know i think becky g just has that that factor about it i think she'd do really well in this kind of a role linda hamilton is in this movie too mm-hmm. right so yeah I'm, I'm really interested how that's all gonna lay out which then you know raise the question like you know is uh is her is uh sarah connor's Sarah Connor's son in this movie. We know uh, Arnold's back as the Terminator. 
Um, but I, d- I do also think that Davis is going to be the Terminator. That's like the v- half villain of this movie. I think she's going to take on the Schwarzenegger role and then she'll be the the Terminator that is on the good side in this new trilogy or whatever. Because she, she, she kind of has that, not a robotic quality to her, but I can see her being, you know, a T-8000 and getting half her face blown off and then just shaping back into whatever. Right. Man, I'm... Oh, these, these movies still confuse me. I'm just not quite sure what's going on here. Yeah. Um, I mean, it, it sounds like it's a reboot, but also Linda's back, so it's yeah, a... It, it's like what they're doing with um, the new Halloween movie. Okay. Where, like, they're scrapping everything that was after Halloween 2. They're doing... James Cameron's doing the same thing here. He's like, I was involved, even though I was an executive producer, and I was saying, oh, yeah, Genesis, Genesis is great. Mm-hmm. It's got all this revolutionary stuff. We're scrapping all of it. This is a sequel to Terminator 2, but it's still taking place like 30, 40 years after and it's wiping away anything else like salvation or Genesis or the other one. There was another movie in there. Rise of the Terminator. Terminator three, Terminator three rise of the machines. Um, so yeah, they're wiping those three movies away and just giving, this is going to be the new Terminator three, but they'll call it, they'll probably just call it the Terminator or just Terminator or whatever as a way to reboot it. Hmm. So, uh, moving back then to the DC universe, this one though, not part of the DC EU. Uh, we got a report this week from the rap that Warner brothers upcoming Joker origin movie, potentially starring Joaquin Phoenix will use an origin where he is a failed comedian in the eighties. This is perfect. This is perfect. This is killing joke. First of all, yes. at least the alleged origin story mm-hmm. of the Joker, which he tells in the killing joke. But I'm imagining Joaquin Phoenix up there, uh, you know, like nervous and sweaty. I can definitely see him as a failed comedian because I've never seen Joaquin Phoenix be funny (laughs) ever. That's a good point. Well, some of the stuff, some of his physical comedy in her is great. But yeah, like I've never, I don't think I've ever had him tell a joke in a movie. I don't know if I've ever seen him smile. You haven't seen her then. He smiles all the time in her. Is a joke. Oh, okay, yeah. yeah. But yeah, okay, most of the time he looks like he, yeah, you know, most his time he puppy like he just hates died. His life. Yeah. Right, exactly. So like he's perfect for it. Um but yeah, I mean, dab and sweat, a nervous wreck, and then gets hung out to dry on a bank robbery gone wrong, and that is the beginning of the Joker. Like, that would be so cool. But the framing of this movie, I'm gonna say it again and I'll say it till I see it, is so important. Mm-hmm. Is the Joker fully formed when he starts to tell this story, or is he not fully formed when he starts to tell this story? Do, yeah, like it, it just needs to end with him, you know, pulling a knife out and like saying something to one of his victims, and like, so is that really how you came about? And you're like, no, ha ha ha, <laughs> and then you know they dub Mark Campbell's voice in there or something. Yeah, but right. for the laugh. But do you like this approach, or do you? You still unsold on the Elsewhere banner? That oh. I like the idea of the Elsewhere banner a lot. Okay. Because um, I think it allows for more different superhero movies. That don't you have to worry about continuity or you could kill off the Joker in a movie. You could kill off Batman in a movie. You could mm-hmm. kill off Superman. You could do all this different stuff that you can't do in a cinematic universe because you want these characters to be along for years to come. The, the problem I have with this is everybody involved with it and now this origin because todd phillips is a comedy director primarily like war dogs has serious moments to it sure Mm -hmm. but like the director of the hangover is doing a movie 
about the Joker yeah. where he's a failed comedian. Like, how long is this? And, like, yeah, this is, like, the beginning of his origin in The Killing Joke. But, like, is this the full movie? Just, like, him trying to be a comedian and failing? Mm-hmm. And then, like, at the end of it, he's like, ah, screw it. I'm going to go join Life of Crime. And then it's, like, the tease of, and now he's the Joker. Yeah. Or is his failed comedian the first 20, 30 minutes? And then the next hour, hour and a half is, and now here's the accident here's his bleached skin and here's him becoming a crime boss i would hope that would be the case but i don't i don't know mm-hmm. it's just like this failed comedian angle doesn't give me like all the hope like yes yes this is this is it this yeah. is the detail i needed so yeah i'm still i'm still unsold on i'm still uh unsure about the cassian joking phoenix but we'll see Framing is important. I'm Absolutely. Say it again. And speaking of the DC movie uh, universe, this could be a movie that's set in the DCEU, or maybe it's on the Elseworlds banner as well. Greg Berlanti told The Wrap that his Booster Gold movie is still in development and that the script from Zack Stentz is finished. He previously said that his movie would not take place in the DCEU, but now that was like three regimes ago. <laughs> like that was before <laughs> yes. Jeff Johns took over, and that was... And now Walter Hamada's in charge. So like now there's like all these different creatives involved here. Do you think they should rework this to make Booster Gold part of the DCEU or should he be part of like the Elseworlds banner or should they just scrap this movie altogether? It doesn't need to be involved in the DCEU because I think the DCEU as a concept should just be thrown out the window. And I think DC should just make films. Okay. And then tie them together when they can. Okay. But um, this movie needs to be made. It needs to be made with Arnie Hammer because why not? He's popular right now, again. Um, and it needs to be in the mold of what we talked about on the big question last week, uh, like Shazam. Yes. I think I originally pitched it as an R-rated film about a guy weighing over his head <laughs> coming back from the future to the uh, to the present day, but it would be even better if it was someone in over his head coming back to the present trying to be the superhero for everyone yeah. um it can exist in the dc world or it can be its own you know little pocket mm-hmm. but either way i think it would be really great to have someone just with a bunch of technology being like uh, i gotta go be a hero now because that's what people expect and yeah. then you know have them bumble and fumble all the way through there but if superman happens to be in the background and shows up or billy batson mm-hmm. zooms through great just as well but i i mean I'm really high on the tick from Amazon. Okay. The, or not so much the series as a whole, but the way it kind of earnestly goes about um, how to be a superhero. Yeah. And I think if that was molded onto somebody who's trying to aspire to that, I think it would be great. Okay. Uh, I think that this movie should be made absolutely and that it should be part of the DC universe because I think that this is a movie that you know, Shazam looks like it's going to have a lighthearted spirit to it, be a little more fun. But, like, Booster Gold could be their Ant-Man. Oh, yeah. You know, it could be, like, you get, I don't know, I just watched um, Forgetting Sarah Marshall. You put, like, Jason Segel in there. Oh. As, like, <laughs> Booster Gold. Like, it's not, it's not, that's not great casting. But, Owen like, the, the idea of, like, a comedian. Okay. Getting that part. Which, like, you know, Army Hammer, yeah, he can be funny. Uh, he's good. He's great. You know, he's very popular right now. But, you know, I'd want to see somebody like a Paul Rudd 
take on this role and then be like, you know, a little bit of a bumbling idiot, like a fish out of water. Like I don't, you know, I'm from 200 years in the future. Like I don't belong here, but I want to be a superhero. I want fame. I want fortune. I want love. And like, that's what he's after. And I think that could be a really fun movie that the DCEU could need. And it would go along the lines of like the Shazam tone. that I think they're going to set. And, you know, Wonder Woman too. Like, you know, Kristen Wiig was confirmed as Cheetah this week. Mm-hmm. Are they going to play a more comedic route in that? I don't know. But like, it's like, it's that kind of a thing where I think they could use more comedy and, Maybe not, maybe not even comedy, just more lightness. Yeah, they don't need to be as dark and dour as they have been so far. And you know, they've they've worked in certain instances. I liked I like the tone in Man of Steel. I think BVS needs a harsher tone because it's mm-hmm. you know two superheroes, two worldviews colliding. But like you know, but then like Justice League, they're like, hey, we got it got to get the lightness and fun up in here. And Suicide Squad, they're like, we're gonna reshoot this whole thing. Right, get it better. Uh, I don't think that is the way to do it. So I think this should be part of the DCU because they need, it, it just it helps them broaden their universe in terms of the types of movies they're making. So uh, then moving on to uh, a, a bond 25 updates mixed in with what Danny Boyle is going to be doing in the next year and a half or so. Uh, the daily mail reaffirmed those reports that he is still, looking to be the front runner to direct Bond 25 and that he will direct the movie, shoot it later this year as long as the script is turned in and approved in time. But in the meantime, uh, while he's waiting to see if he's going to do Bond 25, he's actually going to be doing a musical comedy next. And THR reported this week that uh, Lily James is actually going to be the star of that. So with further it looking like Danny Boyle is going to direct Bond 25. Do you think that's a good move? And do you like the pairing of him with Lily James? I don't know about the pairing because I mean, I'm trying to think of what Danny Boyle's films. I'm trying to think of something that like, you know, was gut busting um, in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. You can't really think of anything. I mean, unless transpotting is transpotting. It's funny. Hilarious. But like it's, it's a, it's a darker comedy. It's right. And I don't, I wouldn't say it's gut busting. So when you say musical comedy, I'm thinking something in terms of La La Land or, um, I don't know, just a, a bunch of other films that are whimsical and fun. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think he, I know he can do it. But I think the pairing um, is, you know, I mean, it's like, it's not, you can't really garner anything from it other than he got probably one of the most up and coming talented actresses out there right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and with Lily James, who is like, I mean, she just like, her role in baby driver, albeit small is endearing, heartwarming. And like, you know, you instantly say like, Oh, America's sweetheart right there. Yeah. Even though she's English. Yes. yes. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I know she was in darkest hour. So with yeah. the accent, but yeah, yeah. she's, she's not American. Okay. But well, at least she doesn't have an American accent. So I don't know how that works. Fair enough. Uh, so, you know, th- those elements of it kind of spell more towards what boils planning versus how it's going to go. Mm-hmm. But I think it's a good pick. I think it's a great pick. Any film with her um, is definitely going to, you know, bleep on our radar because of her talents. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I, I'm still on board for Danny Boyle doing Bond 25, even if they have to wait a little bit longer to make that happen. And as long as they don't, like, come October, November, once that script's approved and they're ready to start shooting, they're like, all right, 
shoot this movie in three months so we can still get it out next November. It's like, no, no, no. Like, if you're going to wait for Danny Boyle, wait for him, push the release date, uh, give him time that he's going to need to make this movie right because I don't want to see a rushed version of it and then have Daniel Craig go out on another sour note. Right, exactly. It's Bond 25. It's make- Craig's last run before you hand the film over to, you know, um, some more... John Boyega. John Boyega, Idris Elba, Ryan Coogler, uh, you know, all the, you know people who are going to freshen it up. Um, so get the script right, make sure Danny Boyle is well-rested and ready to tackle it, and go from there. Yeah, and as far as the Lily James cast is confirmed, yeah, I'm on board. Lily James, she was great in Baby Driver. Uh She's like the only reason Mamma Mia 2 is somewhat on my radar. Cause I'm like, <laughs> yeah, she looks like, looks like she's going to do a good job in that movie. Like carry that movie. Well, and uh, you know, it just looks like a good role for her, which is the perfect addendum to this musical comedy exactly. because that's exactly what. Yeah. I mean, and she's like, you know, she sang in baby driver. You could call that a musical comedy. Maybe, uh, you know, they don't sing a lot, but like there's the, music is a very big part of that movie. Yes. Uh, even if, the characters on screen aren't the ones seeing it the whole time and dancing to it. But Mm -hmm. yeah, I think Lily James is super talented. So the fact that she is joining this project, leading it coming from a talented director like Danny Boyle gets me excited. It gets me interested. (laughs) And another movie that I'm interested in because the director is the reboot of Dune coming from Denny Villeneuve and the playlist shared a quote this week from Denny where he said that his Dune movie may Will, will probably be a franchise, and it'll be at least two films, maybe even more. So all of those thoughts like, oh, Denny, he can still do Bond. Nope. No, he's he's doing Dune. It looks like he's going to be doing Dune for a while. Yeah. Is that good? Yes, it's good. Dune is a 500-page um, tome, and there's like six books. Not all, I mean, worth of source material but they all branch out from the main Dune storyline. Yeah. So if Dune says, if Denny says two movies or more, he's mining, he's mining the source material and he's going to create a expansive narrative. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's going to be like Game of Thrones in space, I think when it's all said and done. Cause I went back through and started reading some excerpts uh, from the book this week. And, uh, have you seen the David Lynch movie? I haven't seen the David Lynch movie, surprisingly, but I've read the it's book. Pretty weird. I knew it. I mean, of course, it's zany. It's, it's, it's David, David Lynch. Lynch. Yeah, it's Kyle McLaughlin. Um, but from what I understand, it's pretty compact. I mean, it's it's. It, I mean, it definitely that movie. Uh, while not perfect, it definitely shows like, oh, this could be like a. 20 year running movie franchise because like there's so much lore and history and characters that like you could really stretch this out not in a bad way just like oh let's get all the money like you could really like dive in on this and go hardcore and really explore this universe instead of just be like all right here's a dune movie Mm -hmm. with everything yeah i mean paul atreides is basically khaleesi in space (laughs) in a lot of ways um with his outcast and his uh training from the the freemans the freemans yep um and you know his messianic like uh return right and everything like that um so you can really get into the lore and if denny's committed to that 
and he's that means he's, he's learned his lesson from Blade Runner. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the man said he had five hours of film and, you know, some of the things that made it out of the assembly cut that they lifted out where he's like, you know, he's, he just was like, I love listening to him talk about that. So he's going to get this right. And I don't think it needs to be three films. I think it should be two. Okay. That way we don't run out of gas for our third one, which is a good idea because tril- I think trilogies are uh, out of out of style right now. Trilogies is like the thing. And like, that's what's it's funny about like not related to doom, but like, I, I would agree. Like, you know, they don't have to do a trilogy, but like going to the, uh, Benioff and wise star Wars thing. It's like, Oh, the game of Thrones directors are doing a trilogy. It's like, no, they're doing a series. Mm-hmm. So like they're doing three movies. No series could be two movies. It could be 18 movies. Yeah. There's no set stone, but like everybody's just so locked into trilogy. Right. It's a trilogy. Matt Reeves is doing a Batman trilogy. Mm-hmm. Uh, what was the other story we talked about here? It's going to be a trilogy. Terminator trilogy. Like not everything has to be a trilogy. Sometimes you can just make a movie, make two and then cut it clean. Or if it's really expansive, you could do four movies you don't have to split up a movie right. like Hunger Games or Harry Potter or Hobbit to get a fourth one in there just because you're greedy and you want the money, which isn't always the case. Mm-hmm. But like you can just you know make as many movies as you need to to tell the story. Yeah. Whether that's two, whether that's seven, I would rather it be two because that means we get other things from Denny yes. that aren't Dune. And, you know, this this is a... One of the most talented directors currently working in Hollywood, so I don't want to see him just do Dune for the next six to eight years. Yeah, it would be, which, is, be, which could be how long this takes. I think he said two years to to do what he has initially planned to do two movies. I mean, that, if you impossible. if you, I mean, Peter Jackson did all of his in what three? He shot it all they, they, successively. They, they released three consecutive years. Yeah, but he was. He had to be filming those. I don't know how long they were filming for, but I guess like a year and a half, right. maybe two years. So that's so, five years of his life of filming, editing, other post promotions. Right. You know, that's that's a lot of time that you can't film another movie that isn't like a two million dollar indie. Yeah. Uh, in that quote, I mean, he said it would take him two years to do. So I imagine okay. that's I imagine that's pre principal and reshoots along with, you know, post all mm-hmm. that jazz. Um, so you, you imagine, yeah, you gear up, sign contracts for long-term stuff and he gets his epic. And if it turns into three movies or yeah. two movies, I mean, it'll be two movies, but yeah, but if they're going to be, if they're shooting gonna, for two years, if they're going to mine all of this. It's going to be great. Cause I mean, there's Imperial seas, there's other worlds and other eco- mm-hmm. ecosystems that kind of like they tie into the book that affect things that you could talk about and explore. And there's like an entire mechanized world. that's like Coruscant, but it's mm-hmm. more of like a trash heap uh, type style of a place. And, you know, so uh, I don't know. It's just it's him exciting. getting to create his own little universe um, is so cool. Yeah. Um, so last thing I'm going to touch on real quick here. Variety reported this week. What Michael Bay's next two projects are going to be, the first one being a original, an original action comedy, or not action comedy, just action movie from Deadpool writers Paul Wernick and Rhett Reese, titled Six Underground, uh, which is set to shoot this year for a 2019 release. And then following that, Bay is going is in talks to direct uh, the adaption of Robopocalypse, a novel that previously Steven Spielberg was attached to direct, but Spielberg has since handpicked Bay to take on this project. 
uh, which he would shoot in 2019 for a 2020 release date. Are you interested in both these projects, or is there one that is more interesting to you than the other, or are you just not interested in either? Steven Spielberg is technically an executive producer on all of the Transformers movies. Transformers because movies. Because he picked Michael Bay to direct those. Yeah. And, you know, I. Uh, yeah. And the first okay. one, pretty good. Yes. Very Which I think that was probably the one that Spielberg was probably most involved with. Right. That he, Michael Bay was like, I'm going to really make a good movie. And then it you know, they made all the money and they're like, all right, we don't care. <laughs> right. Exactly. Go for broke. Well, the second one, more grounded, but. Mm-hmm. Or, well, grounded, but elsewhere. Yeah. And then when they realized, oh, these are doing well in China. Oh, these yeah. can make a billion and a half dollars. Yeah. yeah. Who cares? What they're, exactly. Who cares what the story your characters are. Just right. make stuff blow up. <laughs> because Spielberg was so focused on the boy and his car relationship that, mm-hmm. um, well, anyway, sorry. Uh, both of these sound kind of cool. I just mm-hmm. read the um, novel synopsis for Robopocalypse. I think there are a lot of interesting things there, especially in our, like, our connected wired world. Mm-hmm. And Spielberg is a smart enough director to know when pop culture moments are reaching frenzies, Ready Player yeah. One, The Post, are just two very prime mm-hmm. examples. In some ways, Minority Report was that too, yeah. at the turn of Y2K and everything like that. So with the internet of things and whatever adaption that makes it out, Robopocalypse sounds pretty great. Um, basically, machines creating their own ecosystems mm-hmm. and things like that. That's going to be crazy. I don't know if I would let Michael Bay do it. I would want someone a little... I mean, that, I think that's an Alex Garland film. Mm. Uh to me, I could definitely see that. But uh, Six Underground, what's this about? Don't know. Okay, but it's it just cool. It's it's, <laughs> I that's the one that's more intriguing to me, just because it's from Paul Wernick and Rhett Reese. Um, and seeing what they did with the first Deadpool, we don't know what they're going to do with the second Deadpool. Um, but I think they're talented screenwriters, and I want to see what they can do outside of the Deadpool. You know, raunchy, violent. You know, mm-hmm. stick like let and like if it's not a comedy at all, if it's just a straight on action movie, but it's like six underground. What does that mean? Is that like in my mind that title, like is like oh here's six underground operatives, like underground soldiers on a mission, and that to me sounds right up Michael Bay's alley. So that's the one I gravitate towards more, just because it seems more intriguing to me than him doing another robot movie. Um, but this one, you know, Robopocalypse is definitely sounds different than Transformers, but it, you know, there's, there are similarities there to be had, but yeah, underground is the one that, uh, I would pick if I had to be like, Michael Bay, you can only do one of these. You're going to do this one instead. Yeah. So, uh, that's all the news we have for this week. Josh, do you know what we're going to be reviewing next week? Yes. We are going to, um, Tomb Raid. Tomb Raid? Raid the Tombs. Yes. With Alicia Vikander. Laura Croft is back after her decade-long hiatus from the silver screen. Um, And this one seems promising, but... Your hopes aren't too high. Hopes are not too high because they've been selling this movie like a... uh, Like Assassin's Creed video game, you know, in a lot of ways. But I'm hoping it's grounded. Mm -hmm. I'm hoping the epic scenes that we see are just that and the story is um much more even paced than the high octane trailers will leave us to believe yeah uh that's the i mean that's the biggest thing that'll probably that'll make or break this movie is the story obviously but 
even if the story is subpar, as long as you know Vikander is great in the role, which I believe she will be, and they deliver on cool set pieces, uh, I I can see myself walking out of this being like, you know, that was that wasn't great, but I I still really enjoyed my time. Right. And but then, but if that story really delivers, then it's gonna be like, oh, that movie was actually great. Like that movie was genuinely a great movie. Mm-hmm. That's super enjoyable and a great pre-summer movie that helps break the video game curse. Yeah, I mean, there is the chance to create the next series of Indiana Jones movies mm-hmm. with this. And I would love that. I would and love it that. looks like it's got that. I mean, right there. But we're going to find out how it's scored and how the rhythm of the movie is or if it's just <laughs> explosion yeah. to um, let's throw by candor off of a cliff. Mm-hmm. Because if it's, there's... Yeah, I mean that'll be the difference. That'll be the difference maker in the movie, the rhythm. Mm-hmm. Um, but performances from everyone else seem to be uh, really on point. But we'll find out. Absolutely, and we'll also be back uh, this week on Wednesday with another edition of the Big Question. Uh, one of our favorite guests, Colton Leakey, is going to be joining us again. Which you guys know what that means. It's a list. We are finally <laughs> now that we are. Uh, three months eight, and eight weeks into the new year yes 10 weeks no yeah 10 weeks in the weeks. new year uh we're going to give our best of 2017 lists or favorite of 2017 lists mm-hmm. uh basically framing it as what were our favorite movies of 2017 we'll go through do a top 10 top 15 we're not really sure what the count is going to be on this yet uh give our favorite movies of the year and uh you know, have some fun talking about all of the great movies that came out last year. Cause there really were a lot of great movies uh, that we want to talk about. Um, and then, you know, we'll obviously be back next week with the review of Tomb Raider, as mentioned before, if you enjoyed this episode though, please subscribe, share, retweet and more. Plus as Josh mentioned at the top of the show, head of iTunes, give us a five star view with comments telling us why you guys enjoy listening to the show. Cause that just helps us feel good. And sometimes, you know, you just need to feel good and be like, Hey, these people like what we're doing, but it also lets us know that you guys are listening and you guys like what we're doing, which is uh, good for us. Plus, we'll know what we're doing wrong. Yes. And could do better. Yeah. If, if there are those things, I'm sure there are. We're not perfect. Um, but, you know, if you have any comments, be sure to pass those along. And if you have any thoughts or anything we covered on this episode, please tweet us your thoughts at Friends of Film. You can tell me personally on Twitter at MovieCooper and Coops underscore Hoops. And you can get at me, Josh, at just Joshua Ryan. Thanks again for tuning in to this podcast. Josh. Thanks for stopping in, everyone. And be sure to turn next week for our view of Tomb Raider.